Welcome to episode number 241 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, welcome. On this episode of Destination Linux, we're going to discuss the best privacy-focused search engine out there. Who reigns supreme? Well, let's find out together. Then we're going to head to Jill's museum to see what treasure <laughs> of hardware history Jill has to show us this week, one of everyone's favorite episodes out there. And you may have noticed you've got me, Ryan, Jill, and you've got Michael, but there's no Noah. And that's because Noah, unfortunately, had a work emergency. One of his employees got stuck in Vim is the rumor there. So hopefully <laughs> they can get them out of that soon. And of course, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week, we head to our discourse forums where VE64RD states, thanks for an awesome episode. And since I am new to Linux, I'm working way, my way through all the episodes. I'm using Fedora 34 with GNOME 40 on my ThinkPad nice. T450, and I love it. I have two questions for you. I've, I've seen some people talking about uh, battery issues and how to solve them, and I've had some battery issues myself. On a full charge watching YouTube, it only lasts for about 40 minutes to an hour. I read on a forum to install and enable TLP. That didn't make the battery last longer, so I removed it. On another forum, they recommend Power Profile's Daemon package. Now, it's better than it was. The indicator says five hours on standby, but when I use YouTube, it drops down to one hour, 15 minutes on the power save mode. Are there any ways to get better battery life, or am I too demanding and 1, 1 hour 15 is as good as it can get? Uh, and also, should I use ButterFS since Fedora uses that file system? Yeah, so for me, I think this is a really good question because I've actually seen a lot of people get recommended TLP, and what they do is they literally install TLP and then assume everything's running. You've got to take that extra step to make sure you use the system CTL enable TLP.service and then the start TLP.service for it to even kick in. And then you have profiles that you can set within TLP as well. So that's something to check out. I also wouldn't rule out in this case, the fact that you could have a battery issue altogether. So I don't know if you've tested previously with this uh, device that it's battery lasts longer in Windows or some other operating system, but even newer systems, even if you bought a brand new laptop, there are cases where they have bad batteries inside of them. So that could be another option for you as well. In regards to ButterFS, the answer is heck yes, use ButterFS. I am such a <laughs> fan of ButterFS. I love it mm -hmm. in Garuda Linux. I love it in OpenSUSE, of course, and I love it inside Fedora. Now Fedora is still turning on features with ButterFS, and those are just going to get sweeter and sweeter over time, I feel like. So there's really no reason not to utilize ButterFS. And as a brand new user, when Fedora turns on the ability to roll back your system, one of the big features that ButterFS has, that's going to allow you to more freely explore changing different settings, trying different things, but not being afraid you're going to break something because you can just roll back. That's one of the beautiful things that ButterFS offers there. So that's my yeah. opinion on those. But you picked a really good distro and a fantastic desktop environment as well, Fedora 34. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, you know, ever since I've been on Garuda, I've been using ButterFS and love it. So now I'm, I'm switching all my distros to ButterFS that support it really well. And, you know, uh, going back to his question about his ThinkPad, I have literally like 20 ThinkPads in my collection. And I have found after a couple of years, their batteries do, mm. you know, have issues. And the um, the one that he has, uh, the T450, that that one is, that computer is five years old. It's like January, 2015. I have that model too. And it it has issues with, with playing multimedia uh. and of course gaming. But running, you know, in casual mode, it, it's fine. And uh, like Ryan and Michael, I enable the system CTL uh, TLP service. Absolutely, because that really does work on those machines. But you just got to remember to enable and, and start it up. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Also, one of our listeners is saying TLP is great and you can combine it with auto CPU frequency. That's auto CPU dash FREQ and use PowerTop to, of course, monitor. So there's lots of tools out there. Um, so go check out some of those things. And of course, this post is out there on our Destination Linux forum. 
So if you head to that forum, you can actually add your comments directly to that post right yep. there. TLInform.com. So we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is go get your official DLN mug, like this one I have here, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down on the nearest stool, and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join in on our community discussions, then join the DLN community forum by going to dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by the amazing, the powerful digital ocean. In fact, we're going to talk about in the show today, something you can do that's really cool with digital ocean that I was playing with all week. And then I got Michael messing with it too, because it's so cool. We'll, we'll get there. But anyways, DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building the scalable high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database itself. Simply offload your MongoDB administrator administration to DigitalOcean, let them handle everything from the provisioning, the scaling, the updates, the backups. I mean, anybody who's had to administer a database before is probably cheering and screaming up and down, yes, please take this away so I can just <laughs> focus on the work that I need to be done. And DigitalOcean will do that. They built this service in partnership with MongoDB Incorporated, and they've ensured that you will get access to all of the latest releases of MongoDB Document Database as they become available. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast, here's the best part. They're going to give you $100 to go play with this for free. You have to do nothing else. You get a free $100 to go play with this new service here. All you have to do is go to your browser and type in do.co slash dln-mongo. Again, do.co slash dln-mongo to get started with $100 of free credit. You can do so many cool things with that free credit there. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. This week, we have everyone's favorite segment returning, and it's Jill's treasure hunt. And I asked Jill this week, I said, show us <laughs> something from your museum. Go deep into the museum archives and find something that's worthy of the 30 years of Linux celebration that we had last week, which, by the way, Huge thank you to the community. That celebration was so much fun from just the discussion topics at the beginning to the gaming at the end, and even including us trying to figure out hedge wars, which was still funny <laughs> and fun yeah. trying yeah. to stumble through all of that. So a huge thanks to the community. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, there, and Michael did an amazing job this week with highlight videos and stuff like that out there. Mm -hmm. So make sure oh, to go check those out if you missed it. And uh, yeah. hopefully we'll catch you at the next big festival. But Jill, you had a big <laughs> task here. What, what from your museum were you able to pull out that's worthy oh. of the 30 years of Linux? Okay. So now... On past treasure hunts, I have shown you unique computers that you can run Linux on spanning its 30-year history from my upgraded 386 to my Tangerine iBook G3 to my Asus EPC netbook. But it was actually hard to find that one special computer to celebrate 30 years of Linux to show you today because the beauty of Linux is that it can run on just about everything. Yeah. So every computer is special. <laughs> So instead, I'm going to focus on a category of machines that runs Linux and exemplifies the true power of this amazing operating system. So the first computer that I'm going to show you today is really one of the first ones to show the true promise of Linux. And as Ryan had, had said last week, helps to close the digital divide and gives everyone a chance to be a part of technology and community. And it's a towel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Everyone needs a good towel. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> the one laptop nice. per child XO, XO1, wow. small green and white laptop released in late 2007. Is this the first edition of it? Yes. Nice. <laughs> and I actually have uh, two of them. So, uh, but this, this one was an earlier model. So I'm showing this one. Awesome. <laughs> and is that the one with the hand crank? Yes, it is. Awesome. It is. <laughs> so you can hand crank this to generate power to to charge the battery. That's insane. Yes. 
So I'll give you a little bit of history first, and then I'll open it up and go through the specs and, awesome. and show you about all the hardware. So back in 2005, one of the biggest stories in tech was a project by a group of MIT professors to build a $100 laptop and give them to children in schools around the world. And it's a, actually a really small machine with a big mission. The XO is a learning tool designed and built especially for children in developing countries living in some of the most remote environments. And at the time, a typical laptop cost well over $1,000. So the founder of the MIT Media Lab, Nicholas Negroponte, announced that he was forming a nonprofit to build a $100 machine for kids. And so his nonprofit called One Laptop Per Child, or OLPC for short, did go on to create millions of devices named XO computers for a price closer to about $130 each when all wow. is said and done. So, and what's really cool is the one laptop per child model motto is XO laptop, changing the world one child at a time. How incredible. <laughs> and for those who are listening to the podcast version, you can't see the video. This laptop to describe it is uh, more like a, a, a laptop <laughs> with a handle over the top of it. it it's very interesting. Yeah. It's very different. It's got kind of a handle area, very big, profound handle. It's got a green border, a nice white, you know, kind of top to it. And of course the XO logo, it looks like there, but not like a normal laptop that I've ever seen before. Yes. Like it's a very unique looking device. Very unique. And uh, one of the unique things about it is the screen can rotate and collapse on the keyboard in an ebook mode for reading and playing games. Mm. But this first model doesn't actually have a touch screen. So you have to use the, con there's controls on the bezel. So now I'm actually going to open it up and show you. Nice. All right. <laughs> the battery does work on it, but only for a short time. So I'm keeping it plugged in. <laughs> well, we just need you to crank it. Give it a thousand yes. cranks, Jill. <laughs> While Jill's doing that, why that's so important to have a, a crank module is because or a crank system built into this laptop obviously is because having electricity or outlets and things especially in very remote areas would be near impossible and so having an ability to charge a battery on a device through a crank is ingenious and you see this in a lot of emergency kits for flashlights and other things that you may buy where you can crank it in order to get the energy that you need even radio emergency mm -hmm. radios those type of things so it's just such a brilliant idea to include that into a laptop in an area where you're not going to have regular access to power. Yeah, absolutely. And Ryan said that beautifully. Um, and speaking of which, the power options were batteries. Like you could, not just laptop battery, but you could actually connect um, multiple inexpensive batteries from a remote environment to power it. It also had a solar power panel option. And as well as the human-powered hand crank generators yeah, that really are, are really quite amazing. It's bright yellow, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really pretty and uh, complements the laptop. But the – so the manufacturer is actually Quanta Computer. Mm. And it's known as a sub-notebook, a very unique sub-notebook, <laughs> but a sub-notebook nonetheless. It has one gig of flash memory one megabyte of flash ROM with open source, open firmware, Fedora Linux with the sugar nice. GUI. I was about to ask if that was sugar. Yeah. Yeah, oh, cool. this is sugar. And a 433 megahertz AMD geode processor with an integrated GPU. It's got 256 megs of DRAM. And I'm going to show you one of the very special things about this laptop. It's got a dual monitor mode. So the display what? is one of yeah, the display is one of the innovative features of of this laptop. It can be used in darkness and also in direct sunlight for children who go to school outdoors. It has a reflective back, backlit off monochrome mode uh, monitor for low power use in sunlight and this mode it actually provides very sharp images for high quality text. And it also has a uh, backlit classic color mode. So it's got a uh, dual mode, one not ba backlit and one backlit. 
and I can show it to you here. And because of this nice camera, you'll be able to see it. <laughs> On my webcam, that was not true. <laughs> so right. So here is turn if what, how you, and how you get there is you turn the brightness up and down, and when you turn the brightness off, the backlight goes away, and you see the OS. Oh, nice! And it looks it, it it's really nice. Almost in looks the like eyes. E ink. Exactly, Ryan. That that's in fact, I I was enjoying. I I read some show notes <laughs> on this uh, um, laptop because it's so easy on the eyes. <laughs> Yeah, it's this is really absolutely amazing. brilliant. They really thought of everything because a lot of these kids are outdoors. And if you have, yeah. everybody knows, if you take your laptop, your really nice $1,000 laptop outside, a lot of times you cannot see the screen depending yeah. on the glare and things. So they thought about that in this device here. I love they chose Dosky Green. Um, I yes. appreciate the fact that yeah. they did that. They match my logo there. <laughs> is that, that keyboard totally. backlit as well? No, it is not. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that you is, can't have everything for $150. You can't have everything, apparently. right? And so, uh, yeah, there's something special about a keyboard. It has a water-resistant, mm. it's, it's water-resistant and customized to the locale in which it will be distributed. And it is designed for the small hands of children. And actually, for me, it's easy to type on, but I have small hands. But yeah. <laughs> it's not easier if you're... We need to get one for Michael. It'd be <laughs> hilarious. Hands. We, we laughed at him <laughs> trying to use that old laptop he had's touchpad, and we can get this for you and see how you can yeah, handle that, the keys that, there, Michael. Speaking of which, we have a, a really good chat uh, comment in the chat. It says, uh, mm -hmm. NecroJet says, uh, Michael was using that hand crank system for his old ancient laptop. And uh, it, <laughs> it's not that old, but it argu arguably... Almost. <laughs> I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you actually had to crank it to get it started, actually. It wasn't for power necessarily. It was like a crankshaft to just start the engine. <laughs> to get, to get it the did take a long time to boot, so maybe. Yeah. yeah. So it also has a touchpad for mouse control and handwriting input. It's got stereo speakers, and it's got audio based on the AC97 codec with jacks for external stereo speakers and microphones, line out and mic in, just like standard computers do. And it actually has a fairly decent camera built in, a fairly de decent webcam built in. Yes, low resolution, 640 by 480, but it does 30 frames per second. So I was pretty happy it wasn't the 15 frames per second. Yeah, really. <laughs> And as you can see, these are uh, little, there's little antennas on the top of the screen, and that's 802.11b uh, or G wireless. And these are made for not only connecting to the classic internet, but also for intranet mesh networking. Because in the remote areas, they don't have access to internet, so they, they create uh, um, you can create a mesh networking just with these devices, How and kids brilliant. can communicate. You know, a group of kids from fifty to a hundred can communicate with this device that's and awesome. interact with each other. So that's really, really cool. No need to hand crumble notes to your friend. You can yes. just write it on your laptop. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Absolutely, and it's got three USB ports and an SD card slot, and uh, I you can boot other OSs on here like. Uh, um, there's a XO pup, uh, puppy Linux made for the XO as well. And it has a ba average battery life of from three to five hours. And, um, mine right now only lasts about a half hour because it is pretty old. <laughs> How is it that <laughs> so... a device this, this old and at $150 has a better feature list than most thousand dollar laptops today? Oh, that's so true. I know they took a loss. Obviously, they had to take a loss. But it's still incredible to think, like, you compare it. I mean, obviously, the specs, because of its age, are much lower. But when you compare the, the amount of detail that went into thinking about all of the different things from the mesh network capabilities yes. to the antenna system that they put in there to the screen and the sunlight to the waterproof keyboard, all of these attention to detail that you don't even see from major manufacturers anymore in their own laptops that they're selling for a premium out to consumers. This this is something to really be yeah you know looked yeah. at and modeled after from from other manufacturers, in my opinion. Well, I know you know as a nonprofit, and they got lots of donations, including from the community, to build these computers for children. So um, they obviously were taking a loss on the hardware. It, you know, is very, was was very ahead of its time and innovative. And speaking of which, 
the sugar GUI is very unique. As you can see, the software, these are all, all the apps, and they're lined in a circular pattern. You can change that to a classic grid style. But by default, it's a circular pattern, and they used icons because icons are universal. Right. So it doesn't have text under them. That's smart. What's also cool is is the operating system. So it's actually a pared-down version of Fedora Linux. So it's a, a slimmed-down version of Fedora Linux. That's cool. You know, it's, it's what's speaking of which, it's really interesting is that you can still get the Sugar desktop on Fedora in a new build if you want it. Yes. And you can also yeah. put it on a Raspberry Pi, which yeah. <laughs> is <just> really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's what's interesting about this is that you, the Sugar, Sugar user interface is written in Python on top of the X window system and the Matchbox window manager. Mm. A lot of people don't realize that. So <laughs> I did not know about the Matchbox part. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> there, the other cool thing is there are dedicated keys on the keyboard to navigate Sugar as well. So to, to go back and forth from programs to the main desktop. So if um, this is really handy if you're not using a mouse with it. Because <laughs> this trackpad is not necessarily the easiest or the best. <laughs> Slightly yeah. bigger than the one from my laptop, my old laptop. Yeah, yeah. actually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it it kind of well, uh, might be. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. See, originally, there here's the actual touchpad. And these two areas on the side were, were supposed to be for a stylus. Oh, but this interesting. version, yeah, hadn't that was a, a feature that hadn't been implemented yet. Like that's that there's so so much technology in there and, and it's it's crazy how much it's better it is. than most Chromebooks for sure. I'd take this over a Chromebook yeah. right now. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah it's you know? a you know, it is a little slow and old, but it, it does everything a Chromebook can do, do right. and it's secure. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's very, it's very and, interesting. And we got, a, we got a question in the chat. What are the horns okay. for? Cool. So the, oh, yeah. So these are the Wi-Fi antennas. Ah. Or the but they do look mesh, like little monster horns, networking. don't they? They do a little yeah. bit. <laughs> a lot of people were saying that this laptop kind of looks like Shrek. <laughs> the monster yeah. Shrek. Now, this come in a bunch of different colors, or was green the standard, no. the DOS Geek green the standard color? The DOS Geek green was the standard color. I like this MIT and, professor. Um, what's really cool also is the web browser is based on the Geeko engine used by Mozilla Firefox. Yeah. It has um, a slimmed down version of Abbey Word. It's got online chat and voice over IP programs. And uh, Python 2.5 is the primary programming language used to develop sugar activities and educational apps and activities are what they are calling the apps on the sugar user interface and what's really cool there are several programs on here one is called pippy for making games and apps written in python and there's lots of demo games and apps available like pong math games and screensaver demos so the kids uh the code is there so the kids can manipulate the code and uh make their own apps and have fun. And it's got music sequen sequencers and uh, digital instruments with the program TamTam. -Tam. It's got a music synthesizer as well program based off TamTam. -Tam. And it has also has Scratch for programming as well. So nice. like the Raspberry Pi does. And there's several games on here. There's, a, there's Maze. There's a memorization game. And the other very unique thing is that the programs distributed, um, they have standalone servers containing articles from Wikipedia and educational videos from the Khan Academy and customized material from their local for local education programs. So they so preloaded that. Intranet. So if you don't have the internet, you can still be able to access those sites and get information from it. That's yeah, awesome. That's exactly. And it's got a paint program and, of course, a record program to record the webcam and audio and a terminal. <laughs> so an easy to access terminal Hey, Jill, terminal are, those top right firings, are those top firing speakers as well? It looks like yes, they're they actually are. built it. Yeah, so they actually, they, they actually they know good. how to build better speaker <laughs> system than 90% of the PC <laughs> the manufacturers laptops. out there who like to put the speakers where they fire yep. into your lap. But yeah. here we have a $150 laptop where they were smart enough to figure out that <laughs> firing speakers into your lap is actually not very good idea. So that's, that's quite amazing. 
Not so best I'm for the sound. Just, <laughs> I'm going to do a, a quick little demo of one of the apps on here. Is this the Michael AI bot I wrote loaded on this? Happy 30th birthday, Linux. I am your Michael AI. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Jill, we were I on did. the same brave. <laughs> yeah, oh, you did load when, Michael when you, AI. When you, when you said it Michael looks like AI. Michael too. Look at those eyes. They're near identical. I, and see how it tracks the, <laughs> the mouse just like X-Eyes. <laughs> how cool is that? Uh, X-Eyes app oh my on Linux. Goodness. Jill, yeah. Jill, I didn't know. I, 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 I gave you an impossible <laughs> task. I said, find something that for 30 years that can represent 30 years of Linux in here. And honestly, I'm blown away by this device. I had heard of its existence. I'd heard of these type of devices out there. I had never seen one. It's so impressive, the ingenuity that they put into this laptop. And it really, to me, demonstrates, of course, the importance of Linux from a digital divide standpoint, that Linux is the one going out there, our, our next generation Absolutely. of artists, engineers, uh, doctors, scientists, all of this are now able to actually have a somewhat fair chance at being able to follow their passions because of Linux and the things that it does. Yeah. And this type of device also from a hardware standpoint is amazing because it's missing. As someone who loves hardware like I do so much, I see that the corporations have kind of gotten rid of a lot of the employees that just wanted to build something mm -hmm. beautiful that really thought about the design, how something feels when you hold it, how feel how something sounds when you're using it, the overall kind of experience you get out of a laptop, and that's gone. Everyone's just kind of like cookie-cuttering Oh, Apple did this, so that's our new design too, or whatever it is, whoever they're copying. It doesn't yeah, matter what company you absolutely. put there. But this is something where somebody truly loved what they were working on, truly loved what they the the idea of what they were trying to solve for and put an mm -hmm. awesome product that this many years later, I see so many people sitting in our patron room chat saying, I want one, I want one, I want one. <laughs> yeah. Right? Think about that. Yeah. So uh I'll get in in conclusion. I, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Is that the, the it actually kind of did fail? The computer was slow and used older technology. Uh, I don't think that's completely true, <laughs> but but it, it actually the CPU was older, so it was a little bit slow, and it was actually easily bro broken by the children. Even though it's actually quite rugged, and despite being marketed you know, as a rugged machine. And the software mesh networking actually had issues connecting to other XOs. It was easy to connect to the internet, but it, it, it had issues connecting to each other. And they improved that over time with different variations of the laptop. So in and, fairness, you're uh, saying the first iteration Yeah, failed. this is the first, the first okay. iteration failed, and then it improved. And, and their last version came out in 2019. And it's actually wow. just a laptop with Ubuntu on it. So, <laughs> so they're still around and selling their laptops. But, and to me, it was an ex a success because it was a very progressive and innovative in its design, technology, and community outreach. And it won several awards in 2000 in 2008, including the London's Design Museum Design of the Year Award. And it won several awards at the Industrial Design Society of America's International Design Excellence War Awards, known as IDEAS. I don't and, know how uh, that's not considered a huge success. Really. That's, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. Massive success. The OLPC Exos, to me, launched a whole new category of low-cost Linux machines for education, for children in developing countries, and it helped to close the digital divide, just like we, what we've been talking about, Ryan and Michael. Yeah. yeah. It actually and seems I'm, like might be, it might even be like some sort of inspiration to the Raspberry Pi because they the Raspberry Pi yes. originally was for educational stuff. Exactly. Uh, like this one, the Raspberry Pi 400. That was in my mind, Jill. I was like, this is, <laughs> I, I was thinking in my head this, about yeah. how they skipped generations and how kind of the current version of that laptop really is a form of the Raspberry Pi 400. Exactly. Here. Yeah. 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 So this is, you know, a hundred dollar all in one computer with the Raspberry Pi and just hook it to a monitor. And this is a, what, what a lot of the uh, organizations in third world countries are using to put Linux in the classrooms and teach them computers is the Raspberry Pi. And the Raspberry Pi 400. 
Well, Jill, you did the impossible. You found some <laughs> hardware from your awesome, amazing museum that I think perfectly represents the 30 years of Linux. So thank you so much for bringing that to us. And you have to wait till I host next time for another Jill's treasure hunt. Yeah. <laughs> when I write the show, I only do the treasure hunts when I write it because it makes hosting so easy. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. By the way, the creators of this, we'd love to have you on the show. If you ever want to come on oh, and yeah. listen to this segment, please come yeah. on and, and talk to us about <laughs> your inspiration for this. Because to me, this is inspiring hardware. Yeah, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. You can get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, it provides lots of different tools and it does all this stuff by using the secured vault where they store your passwords, the automatic generation of those passwords for you. So you don't have to because there's a lot of times where you want you, you they'll see people talking about password security is the most important thing. And reusing a password is where, you know, hackers love that because it makes it easier for them to get your data. Now, if you have um, have to change all your different passwords, it makes it a lot more difficult. But when you have Bitwarden, you have an automatic generator, so you don't have to worry about any of that and you can automatically fill in those passwords on login forms and it works across many different types of devices whether it's your web browser extensions or mobile applications or desktop applications or even on the command line if you want to do that so go to bitwarden.com dln to get started and did i mention you can get started for free you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium accounts. They have many different options when it comes to the premium accounts, whether you want to have a personal account, a business account, family account, and you get all of this stuff starting at less than a dollar per month. That's right. So you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. All of that starting for less than a dollar per month. And you also get the business accounts or the, the family accounts and get even more value from it because you can make it easier to, let's say, for example, with the family accounts, you can set up accounts for other people in your family and help them get started with Bitwarden, which is awesome because there's, you know, there's people who are not familiar with password managers and might be a little bit to get started and being making it possible for making it easier to do that is just a, another fantastic feature that Bitwarden offers. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to make the smart move like many from the community have and get your account for less than $1 per month. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So this week, I wanted to talk about the importance of picking a good search engine. We've talked a lot on this show about what browser you should use. We've talked about the importance of utilizing Firefox or browsers that aren't based on Chrome. And But we haven't really focused heavily on the search engine specifically, which is where a lot of metadata, a lot of privacy issues start to happen in that search engine piece. And Google obviously has, I don't know, is there something above a monopoly in the search engine? Because they have that. <laughs> it's not even a monopoly. It's a complete slaughter at this point. Because yeah, they're number else. one and number two search engine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's even become a part of our vocabulary when you're even at work. And I get slip up and say this myself of, oh, just Google it, Google it, Google it, everything. They, it's such it's such a monopoly that we've incorporated it as a word to utilize in place of searching for something online. From tracking cookies, metadata ads, and more, Google search engine does not respect your privacy. That's the big issue here with it. Now, there are many alternatives out there that you'll hear talked about in the community. You have DuckDuckGo, you have Cirques, you have Hoogle and StartPage, just to name a few, but there's probably two, three dozen other ones out there. But I want to kind of start a discussion on which ones you all use as far as your search engine and kind of some of your thoughts on these different options, because not all of them are created equal. And I also have to tell you, that I have gone down a rabbit's hole. I became obsessed <laughs> with one of these options this week and spent every free moment I had working on this on a digital ocean droplet, which kind of gives it away which one, but we'll get into that in a second. So I guess to start here, let me talk to you, Jill, and ask what mm -hmm. search engine do you choose for your privacy? Well, I have actually been uh, enjoying the ghostery Dawn browser beta, which includes the Ghostery search engine, which is really awesome. It's not implemented yet for all the, the browsers out there, but they are, are working on building extensions for them. 
And uh, so I've, I've been using Ghostery a lot and I love the privacy and, you know, from that browser has a privacy turned on from the get-go. The, yeah, we uh, covered that engine. on this show and sure it's have. really interesting what they're <laughs> doing because I think to join the beta, you have to pay for their $4.99, right? I that package to be able to beta test it. Is that still the case? Do you know, Joe? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Okay, so yeah, we can we can validate it. that, but I think if you want to use a lot of their features, you kind of do this payment, the the monthly fee for their kind of privacy search, which is a good option. And I think we shouldn't be afraid to pay for this stuff that protects our privacy. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. But just in case someone mm -hmm. wants to go check out there, it may require like four ninety nine or something like that to check it out. But that's a really good one that we've talked mm -hmm. about in the past. So have you been using it since that time? Because I think we did yeah, that episode like I, over a month ago or two. <laughs> That's why I don't know if they're charging me or not, because <laughs> I haven't really paid attention because we we had even, you know, uh, uh, did a show on Ghostery <laughs> several months ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I also use uh, the Tor browser default search engine, which is DuckDuckGo, the classic. And that is kind of my go-to really for secure searching. <laughs> Awesome. And Michael, what is your favorite search engine out there? I typically just run DuckDuckGo, like mostly DuckDuckGo. I mean, sometimes I'll use the Bang system. Bing. That's, no. Sometimes. <laughs> no. I thought you were going to no, say no. Bing. Oh, okay. Bang system. Sometimes I use the Bang system inside of DuckDuckGo to search other things. So DuckDuckGo is fantastic, mm -hmm. but there are occasionally, there are some times where they don't have the information that I want. And instead of having to go to a new search engine, you just go to the top at the very beginning of your search query. You just type in uh, exclamation point G and then space, and it'll send you to Google. Or you can do B and go to Bing like Ryan wants to. Like the, many different options <laughs> you can with the Bing system. And you can even do stuff like uh, exclamation point AW space to go to the ArchWiki, which I'm pretty sure Now Ryan we're does talking. Do yeah, <laughs> man. So, there, so the Bing system is pretty cool. But there's like DuckDuckGo is the thing that I use mostly. I've used other things as well, but my go-to default has been uh, at least for a couple of years or so, uh, DuckDuckGo. I've loved that. I've loved that search engine since it started. <laughs> I've been using it. A yeah, lot. It's, I went... <laughs> it's gotten a lot better over the years too. Yeah, it has. It has even implemented a lot of the features that Google has. Google Search mm -hmm. <laughs> for uh, searching um, for items and a calculator and weather and. <laughs> All that. <laughs> yeah. DuckDuckGo has had massive improvements. There was a while there where the type of stuff, if I was looking for something that was a tutorial based on fixing a broken problem or whatnot, it always seemed like the results from DuckDuckGo were really old or the wrong thing. They were just way off. Mm -hmm. But that has improved tremendously yes. over the past several months. So huge props to everybody working on DuckDuckGo, which I think is a lot of people's kind of standard go-to here. What's interesting to me is I like to follow the money with these companies and figure out how are they making money? Because I always fear that we will tell people, go use this thing. Then when they get enough users, they'll turn evil and then, you know, flip on people and start selling their data or something else. And DuckDuckGo has a really clear policy on how they make money here, a real easy way to follow their money trail, if you will. So their privacy policy is one of the simplest out there. It's, uh, we don't collect or share any of your personal information. Have you ever seen a privacy policy just say that? I mean, it's so rare yeah. to see one just like straight out, right out of the gate with that, which is really nice. And the way they monetize their operations is ads based on keywords you type in, but it's not tied to you personally. So for instance, let's say you type in cat food. Well, then it will show an ad for cat food that they have from their partners there. But that's it. It doesn't remember who you are. It doesn't put a cookie in there and track you through the next 50 sites to create this profile on you and all of this personal information grab. You search for cat food, you get an ad for cat food. You can click it if you want to. If not, eh, and we're done. Transaction over. This is brilliant. I love the way that they've monetized their system here. When you look at something like Brave, who also has their search engine there, Brave's monetization system that they have, how they make money with this kind of the cryptocurrency thing that they're doing, and then you can turn on certain ads you want to view. It's so mm -hmm. confusing to me that it makes me actually not want to use their stuff. So that's why I generally don't like I I don't like their ad system. I don't like the fact that I kind of choose who to pay. Yeah. Also through through their mm -hmm. system. Like to me, yeah. DuckDuckGoes is very simple, easy to understand. Braves confuses me to the point where I don't trust it. 
that's just me personally, my thoughts on it. So that's why I really like how DuckDuckGo kind of laid out their system. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily uh, I disagree with your statement about the Brave thing. I think that Braves, what they're doing is really interesting, and I, I do wish them well, but I do have a yes. – like I feel a little sketchy about the fact that they, t- they block ads from the website and then – put in their own ads and then do like this bat that bat token thing where they tell you they say that they give the money back but what if the website's not participating in that token like do they actually get the money so it kind of creates this Mm. like open-ended question about it so that's kind of why i don't use it myself but it is interesting that they're working on making the brave search engine not just a thing for brave so that's pretty good yeah Uh, but i am very interested to talk about what you meant, you mentioned earlier about what you've been working on in DigitalOcean, mm-hmm. because he showed me a demo of this, and I have heard of this for many years, but I never put in the effort to understand it or try it out because it seemed like a big task to do it. So, uh, Ryan, you chose to take up that task, and how did you uh, how did you like the experience of using Cirques? So yeah, that's what we're talking about here is Cirques. And let me tell you something. I know we have so many hackers in the community and people (laughs) who love to tinker and play with stuff. And if you're one of those, then welcome to your new void of time. Like in in a good way, like this is like learning Linux over for the first time type of void of of time for you that you're just going to sink so much time into optimizations and changes and things to your server to get it perfect. Cirques is amazing because it's completely open source, self-hostable meta search engine. What is a meta search engine? Well, essentially it's aggregating results from all the other search engines without storing information about its users in there. So it's basically utilizing all the results from DuckDuckGo, from StartPage, from Google, Bing, ArchWiki, everything you want, anything you can think of, you can basically aggregate into this. Now, I self-hosted this on a DigitalOcean droplet. One of the major issues with Cirques is the documentation is extremely lacking um, for a lot of things. And a lot of the documentation is very outdated as well for different people who put blog things and setting this stuff up over time. So it's one of those that prepare to play with. But the great thing about droplets in DigitalOcean is you can start a server. And if you mess it up really bad, just destroy it and recreate a new one within a couple of clicks which I had to do a couple of times actually through this. But I just, I'm really in love with this project. I can't do awesome. enough optimizations with this. And when I showed Michael, I said, look at the advanced feature tab in this browser I created. Yeah, It's like five tabs of dozens of items you can customize for the type of search you want for your images, the type of search you want for your videos, the type mm. of search you want for news. And you can bring so much information in on these pages. It's just a brilliant project and it really needs some support because based on some Reddit threads, it looks like one of the main developers has kind of forked it and gone and done their own thing called Cirques like NG or something like that. And then there's one of the developers who originally started still working on Cirques, but there's not a lot of people contributing to this project. And I feel like it's such an important project. And if more people would go set up a server, they would be blown away by this. Like the hackers and tinkers out there, new people stay away from it. Hackers and tinkers, you're going to love this thing. It is so (laughs) stupid fun to be messing with the different settings out there. Uh, And it uses a YAML as it's kind of code for your main settings. So it's not that difficult to actually go in and understand what it does. Um, But it it could use some help and some work in making things simpler, more clear in the documentation. But what a cool project to set up your own search engine. And I have all my phones, every computer in the house is now set up to use my own Cirque's search engine that I have out there, which is just really cool. Yeah, that is awesome. He showed it to me and he's like, hey, we're going to talk about this in in this episode. I want to show you this. Just look, 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 look. And so (laughs) when I checked it out, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of this before. And I, I admitted that I had never, you know, bothered to do it because of how much it looked like it needed setup. And it is fantastic. The amount of functionality you can have is crazy. The, the fact that you can customize what types of video search engines you use or the sources you get for music even, and so much more. Like, it is so... Like it is basically like the if you were a technical person again, like Ryan said, if you're not a technical person, it's probably not that great for you. But if you're a technical person and you want to have a, the most control over your searches, this is a fantastic way to do that. 
I it it's actually made it me tempted. Like, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. I'm still a little bit. I don't want to. <laughs> but maybe when you come over, Michael, yeah, we'll do I, a video on it. Oh, we'll, that would be. We'll build be the cool. Zerk server together. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I, I would. I would definitely like that because it'd be like, hey, I don't have to go through the process of learning everything. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, that'll be awesome because I've heard about it, I've read about it, but I've never used it. So I'm looking forward to playing with uh, Ryan's. <laughs> well, if you go to cirques.dosgeekcommunity.com, you can go crash it right now. Cause, awesome. You know, and, and start playing with it and doing your searches <laughs> and things. And in fact, if you're going to do a public instance, from a privacy standpoint, it's actually really important that you have lots of people searching on that same thing. Because if it's just you and it's a public instance, it's kind of easy to kind of crawl that from a privacy standpoint. So you want as much people as possible using it, which is why there's private instances in case you don't have a whole bunch of friends that you want to share this with that you can set up and even local instances of Cirques, which I recommend a lot of people play with and try where you can just have that, you, you can basically set it up in a cron job or whatever so that that server starts up as soon as your computer boots and you have a local version of Cirques that you're running there. Because remember, it doesn't need a database of all the websites and everything else. It does have some caching capabilities but it it because it's going to utilize the database of all the other search engines out there. So you can set up a local instance of this, and then you can set up proxies and things through a tool called Morty, which is kind of incorporated mm -hmm. in a lot of the builds for Cirques so that you're proxying all of the websites and things that you're going through, all the different search engines that it's querying and stuff as well. So there's just so many cool things about Cirque. So DuckDuckGo, I would say, is probably what I would tell 99.9% .9 of regular users mm -hmm. out there to go play with. Or if you're new to Linux, that just set your thing to DuckDuckGo. But if you're somebody who likes to tinker, you're a hacker, you want to play with this stuff, set up your own servers, go to DigitalOcean, get a $5 droplet. It's all you need. You don't need anything more than powerful than that and set up a Cirques, and it's just so much fun. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yay! Uh, I completely agree with the DuckDuckGo as a starting point. It, it's been great for me, and eventually it, Ryan might convince me to check out Cirques. But uh, for those who are getting started, DuckDuckGo is a great option. There's also another uh, search engine that we wanted to talk about called StartPage, because it's got some interesting uh, discussions around it. Because they talk about being, you know, focused on being privacy and security oriented, but also there's some people who are worried by the fact that they were pur purchased by a company in uh, 2019, I think, something like that. Ryan, have you? I, re I remember a while back you were using StartPage, weren't you, Ryan? I'm a huge fan of StartPage even today, but a lot of people on Reddit and stuff started kind of slamming on it because it got purchased by this Privacy One group, which is owned by ad tech company System One. And so people automatically started assuming kind of guilty by association thing here that because they got bought by this company, suddenly they're not going to be private. I don't see anything in StartPage's privacy policy or anything else that would make me believe. In fact, the founder of the company said nothing is changing. We will always stand, hold and firm on the fact of protecting people's data. And there's nothing to make me believe they're not going to do that. Um, their personal data and search history is never recorded. They have a very clean privacy policy here. It states it very plainly for everybody to see, just like DuckDuckGo does. IP addresses removed by servers they manage. They prevent retargeting ads. Um, I just think it's a really cool service. It primarily utilizes Google on the back end there. So it's definitely one that if you're looking for that kind of Google result each time and you don't want to do the exclamation mark G, or the bang, as Michael calls it, and I guess other people call it. That's the what bang it's called. It's, it's called yeah. the bang system. It's, it's called an exclamation mark when because, I was growing up, but whatever. Okay, <laughs> it's because in programming, the exclamation point is is a yes. shorthand term. I know you're right. Bang. It's just an exclamation mark to me. But, I you know, agree. Whatever. It is weird to say, but that is that is what Bash bang. you say. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And the other one I'll mention is Hoogle that I saw mentioned a lot when I was doing research for this episode. But let me tell you something. I ran into one version of Hoogle that had horrific privacy policy. So it was basically a, it said Hoogle and I was on the site and I thought it was the legit Hoogle. And I'm like, why are people saying this is good? It's talking about all this data it's collecting. Mm. And then I found another version of Hoogle, that's W-H-O-O-G-L-E, that actually was safe for people to use. So if you're a Hoogle user, Make sure you click on the privacy policy to see which version of Google you're using. In fact, just use StartPage or DuckDuckGo. Yeah. yeah. I've used StartPage a little bit off and on. In fact, the company is only a few miles from me. Oh, really? So can you yeah. go talk to them and tell yeah. them? 
We'd like to talk to yeah, him, Jill. I, yeah. I, I went to a meetup at their facility one time. Nice. Of course you did. Why, course. why did we yeah. even question this? <laughs> it, is Cirque's on the other side of you, by the way? Can you go get no. that developer uh, for us as well? <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Uh, speaking of which, the same thing, I would love to talk to the Cirque's developer out there, whether the forked version or not, just because I think it's a fascinating project. And I definitely hope more people from our community, especially those with actual programming talents, unlike me, can go see if they can help this project out because it's so cool. And I think once you start playing with it, you'll realize why I'm so excited about Cirque's. Yeah, it is very impressive. And I, I can't wait to, uh, you know, create do that video where we can actually like set up Cirque so I can see you know, all the values of it. I, I Just by using so cool. Ryan's uh, version, I realized that this is a very powerful thing and it has a lot more features that I even would have thought that I wanted. That video is going to be really interesting, Michael, because um, I, I just remembered this. When we were at Southeast Linux Fest together, mm -hmm. there was an individual there that was setting up a Circ server. And I remember the first day walking by them. And that's one of the cool things about self is you see all these hackers kind of going on the keyboards, doing something. I'm like, hey, what are you working on? He goes, oh, I'm setting up my own search engine, Cirque. And then it was like the very next day, I still see him in that chair in the lobby working. And I'm like, hey, you still? He's like, yes, I'm still trying to set up Cirques. And then it, when I started doing my own setup, I realized why he was still there on the second day doing all the settings and trying to set up Cirques. <laughs> Because it is an obsessive thing getting Cirques up and running yeah. and getting it perfect. So yeah, there, there, there was a ton of settings. <laughs> Just, even on the front end, without even going into the back end mm -hmm. stuff, you can still see there are tons of settings and changes just on the front end of like customizing the regular search itself. So yeah. I, setting it up, I imagine, is a lot more. <laughs> so Ryan, you need to theme it Dos Geek Green, and we we maybe we should have a destination Linux themed. Uh, I like engine. it. I like it. But I, I want to tell everybody, even if my Cirques is not optimized 100% the way I want it right now, it is dark themed by default. So that wow. is important. I win massive points. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that is important. So Linux just celebrated 30 years. And now after 25 years, we get an official sequel to the classic Ancient Domains of Mystery game. Woo! I put a lot of hours into that back in the day. I bet you did. <laughs> yeah. So it's called Ultimate Ancient Domains of Mystery Game of Mystery Caverns of Chaos. So Ultimate Adom Caverns of Chaos. And this dungeon crawler has native Linux support and gives you the chance to pick up your blade, prepare your spells, check your daggers, and ready your bow before you are about to enter the ominous caverns of chaos. And so the game describes itself on Steam like this. Experience the sequel of the traditional roguelike dungeon crawling cat classics. Enjoy unlimited replayability through endless procedural generated dungeons, countless monsters, grafting, Crafting and a vast amount of skill trees journey into the ever-changing depths of the caverns of chaos. Sounds like so much fun. Caverns of it's chaos. A chaos. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get low like Ryan can. <laughs> caverns of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> now it's not scary at all. Now it feels like a Sesame Street episode. <laughs> <laughs> so what's cool is is um. Ultimate Adom Caverns of Chaos is 30% off on Steam at just $13.99. So grab a copy to get your retro dungeon crawler on. <laughs> and what cool. is a little bit of history? What's really cool is the original Adom game came out in 1994. And guess what? Day one on Linux. Nice. <laughs> so that was what, actually one of the first games I played on Linux. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, that was very unusual back then because yeah. just recently we've got so much attention in gaming and Linux. In 1994, they thought of us and we love them for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you can also get an Amiga port of it. It, it was on all the things, but it was on Linux first, <laughs> which was really right. awesome. <laughs> And um, also a fun point I'd like to make is Valve, the creator of our beloved Steam, just turned 25 years old as well. So happy birthday to everyone this year and this <laughs> What <month>. was in <laughs> the water back about yeah. 25, 30 years ago that there was this much innovation? Because we need to bring it back. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of cool stuff happening back then that we're still utilizing today. That's awesome. <laughs> In our software spotlight this week, we're going to talk about Rapid Photo Downloader. Well, 
when I say we, I don't mean me. We're going to bring on Wendy from Hard Reddicks because she is the photographer extraordinaire on Hard Reddicks, and we cover a Camera Corner every episode, so check that out. But I also think she's the best one to talk about this particular uh, piece of software. It's a way to more easily uh, download videos and photos from your different devices and SD cards and that stuff like that. So we're going to send it over to Wendy right now. Hello, Destination Linux. I'm so sorry that I can't be with you but I am still extremely excited to share one of my favorite applications, and that is Rapid Photo Downloader. I've went out into the garden with my handy camera and my favorite macro lens and taken some pictures from around the garden. Let's go ahead and jump into Rapid Photo Downloader and I can show you all of the awesomeness that's there. One of the nice things about Rapid is there is this tip of the day, gives you tips and tricks for using the application, you can always turn it off if you want to, but I still have it set to pop up every single time I open it. Now, because I have used this system more than once and it will typically and automatically see SD cards and pull in those images from your SD cards. If it doesn't find your device right away, you can typically look for it in the devices section. This includes cameras. Yes, you can pull images directly off the camera. Say you have some images on a separate hard drive and you'd like to move them somewhere else and rename them in the process. You can use this computer feature to do just that. Now here with the renaming is one of my favorite parts about fo Rapid Photo Downloader. There are these ones that come built in, but of course I use my custom. Let's take a look at it. So as you can see, I set mine up to be job code first, then the date the image was taken. I'd like year, month, day for that. And then the original image number. This just makes sure I'm not getting any duplicates, but you can set it up in so many different ways. Here's different ways to set up the image date. You have different ways to add even today's date. So if, say you wanna know what day you downloaded them. This allows you to do that. If you want to use the previous day's image date, there's all of the fun stuff for that, including minutes and hours and seconds. Then there's your download time, lots of different options on all of those, whichever one works best for you and helps you figure it out. Then there is the file name. So that's this little bit here at the end. How do you want that? labeled or in case of video and then the original image number do you want to keep that do you want all the digits just two of them how do you want things numbered this is where you can change that and then you can add additional things inside that renaming process so say you want to know what the aperture is for the image or what the iso is on that image what camera it was taken with there's so much flexibility inside renaming different sequences that you can have set up, and of course, job code, which is one of the things that I love to use because it helps me find where stuff is. It's the exact same over here in video. You have a different renaming option. So if you take RAW and JPEG, you can synchronize them at the same time. Here over in the job codes tab is where you will add job codes. Don't worry if you don't have it already set up, when you go to click download, if you have job code in the name, it'll ask you which job code you want to use. Destination lets you choose where these images are going, of course, so you can decide which drive you like. I have a media drive specifically set up for images to go to. Here's the other thing that I love about this is you can also do backups. So as you download these images, they can go to your main working drive and they can automatically go to a backup drive. I have a drive labeled backup. Rapid Photo Downloader automatically sees the drive that I have labeled backup and will send those images there. If they don't, you can do it manually and set where those backup images are placed. Say you have a NAS or something like that that you want your storage to go to. You can make sure that all of that stuff goes exactly where you want it. There's really fine-tuned, tons of awesome features in them. Let's go ahead and download these. I'm sorry, Ryan, I was not able to get any pictures of spiders, so you're just gonna have to deal with flowers and one little fly. Oh, there is a pepper on there. So as we download, it's asking for the job code because in the custom renaming, I have job code added to that. We're gonna call these DLN and click okay. So now it's showing me that it's downloading them, shows me which ones are done. 
And that's it. We have imported all of these photos, which to be fair, there's not that many, but even if you have a bunch, I have downloaded five, 600 images at a time. It does take a little bit when you're downloading that many images and speed will vary depending on which drive you're using, but it is super, super slick. I absolutely love this application. And you can find it in most repos. You should be doing a search for it if you like to install things with the CLI tool. It would be rapid-photo-downloader. I hope you enjoyed this quick look around rapid photo downloader. It's one of my favorites. It's such an amazing, super flexible tool. Why don't you check it out? And we'll catch you later, guys. I liked how Wendy specifically was like, hey, sorry I couldn't get pictures of spiders. You don't have to apologize that for that, Wendy. I'm so happy <laughs> That's we don't thing. have pictures of creepy spiders magnified like you <laughs> show us on Hardware Addicts all the time. So thank you for not having pictures of disgusting spiders that want to burn with fire. Appreciate that. Yeah, but we also appreciate you taking the time to make this uh, video and walkthrough of Rapid Photo Downloader. It is it was fantastic, and uh, we, I learned a lot from this. I am going to be checking out this because I... I was doing it the old lame way of having to manually edit things in Rapid Photo Downloader. Looks like it is a great solution to, you know, automate, especially with the job code thing. Very cool. And also something else that is very cool is the tip of the week. So this week, Noah's not here to give you one. So I had one that I wanted to talk about, and that is Oh My Git. So if you uh, are want a career in programming, you're going to need to learn Git. So the tip, this tip will help you do just that and in a fun way because Oh My Git is basically a game that teaches you how to use Git. So it visualizes the internal structures of the Git repositories in Game4. People who are new to Git, the game features are custom designed playing card interface. So it's kind of like the deck games. Uh, also, this, the cards help remember Git commands, but also contain uh, short description and icons for identifying and stuff like that. So they kind of com combine uh, an action structure with a documentation element, which is really cool. And even for more advanced or curious players, you can check out the uh, other features that they offer, like the integrated terminal, where they can execute arbitrary Git commands. And there's they, they call it a real, quote-unquote, uh, Git integration uh, into the game, which allows players to try and learn all of Git's features if you want to you know, bypass the, the training functionality of the game. You can play out, well, you could try out a bunch of stuff with it, which is just really awesome. So if you're interested in checking out or learning Git, then check out ohmygit.org. I love trends like this because mm -hmm. it's one of those things like, why can't adults have fun while we learn too? Yeah. You know, so much training we go through is like <laughs> this boring textbook crap where you're looking and you want to fall asleep. But when you look at kids training programs, especially for elementary schools and things like that, they incorporate these games for learning your letters or typing or things. And why not do that with adults? Why can't we have fun and learn too? And things like Oh My Git does right. just that. And it covers really serious topics in this game, such as you accidentally post a Git that has your password in it. How do you revert back? things that you're really going to need to utilize. So even though it's a fun way of learning it, it has a lot of serious um, lessons in there for you to learn. And I, I just love projects like this. We need more like of stuff like this in the adult world to make learning fun. Oh, my Git is a fantastic example of <laughs> what you could do with, you know, a tech, uh, a very complicated technology and in game form. There you go. Maybe we'll do a Cirque's tutorial in game form. We need a Cirque's. Ooh. game to teach you how to learn. We'd have to learn how to make games first. We'd have to learn how to use Cirques effectively yeah. too. That too. <laughs> well, you, you can teach how to how to just use XML too uh, while you're at yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or someone in the chat just said, what about Oh My Arch? <laughs> oh My Arch. There you go. You could have that version. It'd teach you how to install Arch. Well, that's it. The end of the show is here. And a huge thank you to each and every one of you by watching us, listening to us, however you do it. Thank you for supporting Destination Linux. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all of these people behind the scenes. You can't see them because they're in a 900,000 square foot virtual stadium. That's right. It's grown. <laughs> it's got virtual vending machines and virtual learning stations and virtual Raspberry Pi, virtual everything in there. And they get all kinds of perks like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events and live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday where they get piped in and get to hear the audio real time instead of the delays and stuff behind the scenes. And they get their own chat room too, which is pretty cool. And Nico Jet's in there. It makes us laugh at least 24 
30 times per episode. So that's an advantage yeah. right there. And, and Computer Kid with uh, dad jokes and oh, Neil, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And in addition to that, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, we're now live. You can go to dealinlive.com to get a really quick access to it. The best part is everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. All you got to do is go to dealinlive.com and watch it from there. And we can't wait to see you in the chat. And also be sure to go to dealinstore.com where we have all sorts of types of merch or swag or whatever you want to call it. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, uh, backpacks, aprons, all sorts of stuff. That you, If you wanted some swag for the Destination Linux Network, like every show we have on the network, there's stuff there. And if you want to get the, the, the Linux is Everywhere shirt that I'm wearing or the, the hat that Ryan's uh, rocking, the Linux 91 stuff, to celebrate the 30 years of Linux, check it out at dealinstore.com. And make sure to check out all our wonderful shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, yeah, dabbing. Oh, 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 this oh, time we did the Vulcan P side. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Deal and extend, hardware addicts, game sphere, and get your Fedora hat on with our latest show, the Fedora Podcast. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. See you next week. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. There you go. Perfect. Happy 30th birthday, Linux. I am your Michael AI. <laughs>